Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Hey, this past week, Lori and I were able to do something that we have never done before. And it was one of those kind of I don't know if it's a bucket list item. It just actually worked out really well. We were able to go to a Kansas City Chiefs game. And, uh, yeah, I think I figured there'd be some happy people in the room. And then there's already some people who said they're moving churches because they saw us wearing Chiefs uniforms on that day. Hey, we borrowed those, okay? We don't even own them. And so, uh, but I was, for a day, we were Chief fans. And, uh, it was fun to be there, to be in the atmosphere, uh, as, as uh, with a great, some great friends that we've known for 30 plus years. And what's, what's great is they covered the cost of it. So it's like, it's not what you know, but it's who you know sometimes. And that's a great example of, of that. So we had a great time and it was great in, the, in, in watching it live and being, uh, being there. Even if you're not a big football fan, like I'm really not that big of a football fan. I knew two players on the Chiefs and I knew zero on the Chargers. And so as I were watching the game, I learned of a new name though, of uh, a, a, a guy's name who was a seventh round draft pick, uh, Jalen Watson, and how he's a rookie this year. And I was flipping burgers just a few, I've studied up on him, flipping burgers just a few years earlier. And he makes this momentum changing interception. And runs it back 99 yards. It was a beautiful thing to watch and to see and to see the momentum shift because the Chiefs were just not looking that good. And it was, it was in that kind of moment, but it changed the game. It changed the momentum. First time that the Chiefs ever, uh, were ahead in the game and they go on to lose. I sound like a color commentator giving you all the, the play by play. Hey, listen, I, I use that as an example to say this. Interceptions are game changers. You can intercept a ball on the one-yard line and run it back 99. There is a deflation that's going to happen. There is a game shift that's going to happen. We're talking about in this series, but God. And that there are times in our life when there are interceptions. That God steps in just before uh, this, this touchdown, just before we're heading this direction. And he turns us back in a totally different direction. He moves in and he takes over. He, he does something and he changes the momentum. And I think about several times in my own life that I was skating close to the edge and it was God who intercepted my situation, my circumstances, my decisions, and helped me to see things in a different way, which then also leads me to these but God experiences and that sometimes it's an intervention. And an intervention happens when somebody thinks is living a false narrative and they think they're living a true narrative. And what happens is there's this intervention when somebody out of love and grace and care and concern will literally step in front of you and say, listen, you're going in the wrong direction here. And I'm doing this in love so that you don't fall off the cliff that you're about to fall off of. And I love it when God has done that in my life. I'm thinking back to when I was 38. Uh, years of age, 37, 38, when there was a godly man, a deacon in this church who put his arms around me kind of firmly and said, Mike, this has got to change. And it spoke truth to me in a way that I didn't, I was living on a false narrative. I think it was one way, but he told me it was another way and he was absolutely right. Then there's those interruptions. Those interruptions whenever God kind of disrupts 
and detours us uh, onto his pathway. And I think about in Lori and I's own marriage, how we were moving in one direction, and then he totally shifts us in a different direction. And it was like, that wasn't in our five-year plan. That wasn't in our goals and, and plans for our life. But we look back on that now, and it has completely shaped and changed us. So thank God for his interruptions into our life for his insertions into our life. This whole but God theme is whenever his grace interrupts and inserts and intervenes and intercepts our life. And so listen, when God steps in front of you, when God puts other people to step in front of you, when God interrupts your five-year plan, lean in on it because he's doing it out of grace and love and mercy. Don't fight him. Realize that he's doing it because he loves us. We challenged you a few weeks ago on Labor Day weekend to take one of these little pieces of paper and to be thinking about your but God story. What is your story of your life where you could say, hey, God stepped in, intervened, intercepted, uh, did something in my life that totally I look back on it now. Maybe it was hard whenever you went through it. But now you look back at it. You said, that was a but God moment in my life that I am so so thankful for. Maybe you're even in it right now and you can't say that you're thankful for God's interruption, but you are got this moment where God is working in your life. We've asked you to do that. We've got some mirrors out in the gallery area that we encourage you to take and write your, in a succinct kind of way, your but God story on each of those mirrors. So stop by there. Expo markers are out there. Take your time and let us, because I'm going to read every single one of them. I know other people are going to read them. It's going to be so cool to see how God has again intervened, inserted, put himself into our story and does this but God experience. And there are many of them that happen in our life. Sally Lloyd-Jones said it like this, but God, those two words are the most important words in the whole Bible. They show up 3,930 times. I didn't count them, but that's what she said. When everything looks like it's all over, there's no hope but God. God does something. He turns everything all around. Those words are like a fire engine rounding the bend. Help is on the way. Adam and Eve left the garden, but God whispered a promise to them. A flood was coming, but God came to Noah. We are helpless, but God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and be finding Ephesians if you're not there already. Six small chapters, relatively small, probably a medium-sized book if you look at it from, uh, from the grand scheme of things. But six chapters is not a lot. You can read it in one setting in a matter of about 15, 20 minutes, and that's even if you're a slow reader like myself. But you're going to find when you read through this, you're going to find in six chapters, 10 different times does God insert himself does a but God situation that, that really imp- amplifies for us how he really wants to insert himself into our lives in key strategic ways that will keep us from careening off the edge of a cliff, that will help us move to a better pathway, that will get us into his grace and his love and his mercy. Here's a few of those. We'll look at one of these next week, this first one. But now Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 13, we'll be there next week. But grace was given to each one of us. Chapter 4, verse 7. But be filled with the Spirit. 
in chapter 5, verse 15. But today we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, that's what he does. But God in his great mercy, his great amazing grace, he loves us. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But I want us to remember when you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Now, we, I want to say this because I've been thinking about it all week, and I really believe it, that probably the most important passage in all of the book of Ephesians is chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And I will put it in my top 10 list of the most important passages in all the New Testament. It is that significant. It is that powerful and it is that important that we understand it. We understand it, chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, in light of chapter 1. Chapter 1 kicks it off, as we talked about a few weeks ago, with this Barakan praise. He kicks it off into praise, and then he goes into a prayer, and then he ends chapter 1 with another praise. So this is great big worship experience that happens in chapter 1. Verse 6, verse 12, verse 14, it says, to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory. So this is a whole worship experience in chapter one. But then he brings us back to our present or our realities of our own life. But what we need to do is carry chapter one into chapter two. Because what we learn in chapter one should be something that will help us to appreciate all of what we're going to look at today. And it's remembering who I am in Christ. We just sing about who I am. Who I am. Who am I? I am blessed. I am chosen. I'm loved, I'm adopted, I'm freed, I'm forgiven, I'm enlightened. This is what God is going to do and is doing inside of us as he is, as he's blessing us. What's he going to do? He's going to, that blessing is manifested because he has chosen us and he has loved us. He's adopted us, he's freed us, he's forgiven us, he's enlightened us. Now I want you to just kind of keep those two, uh, last two words in mind, enlightened and chosen. Because what you're going to see in this circle is throughout your life, when you're living in this circle, it's going to be secular in your life, and you're going to keep living in this moment. You're going to keep living in this reality of who I am. In fact, when you go to chapter 1, verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, to which he's chosen you. So whenever I get to the end of that great big circle and I think about I'm enlightened, no, 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 it's to bring us back to the fact that he called us and he loved us and he adopted us and he has freed us. And if I can continue all the days of my life living in this beautiful circle of that God has blessed me, God has chosen me, God has, God has loved me, God has adopted me, God has freed me, God has forgiven me, and God has enlightened me, all to live it every single day of my life. That circle is very important. Today, we're going to talk about shapes. You remember when you were in kindergarten? You talked about uh, colors one day. You talked about numbers. You talked about shapes. Well, we're going to talk about shapes. This is kindergarten Christianity. You can call us that today. And we're going to talk about squares and triangles and circles. We just looked at the first, we looked at the circle. But I want us to understand our lives in light of these shapes. Because when you look at the scriptures and you look at this passage, you see a square. You see four sides that are really is a box, is a dungeon, is a coffin, is a cave, is a darkness. 
But then we're going to see a triangle, and that triangle is going to point us somewhere. It's going to hopefully be the story of your life. It's hopefully your but God moment of your life is, is made up of that triangle. But I want us to live out. I want us to look out and to live out that circle of our life. So we're going to look back. We're going to, we're going to look up. We're going to look ahead. We're going to look forward to what God is up to. So let's look back. First of all, take your Bibles again, look at Ephesians. We'll be there in a moment, but we're going to look back. Why do we look back? Looking back is important. You, you appreciate where you are when you don't forget where you've been. I want to say that to you again. You appreciate where you are when you don't forget where you've been. Sometimes you've got to go backward before you can go forward. And I think that's actually a very healthy way to approach life is that I'm, I'm going to look back and I'm going to understand the history of my life. And when you look at this passage, it's a pretty dark beginning. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following after the, uh, the course of the world, following the, the prince of the power. Notice that there's a lot of following going on there. You're not leading the way, you're following. Jesus calls us to follow him, but so many people are following after the, the, the course of the world and following after the prince of the power of the air, which in a short statement is Satan himself, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of humankind, the rest of mankind. There's not a person that those two verses right there, those three verses do not describe. And understanding that, I don't care if you're a teenager in this room and you're zoning out right now or you're an older adult and you think, I've figured out life. I don't need you to tell me anything about me. I just want us all to get on the level playing ground that every single one of us, that has described or is describing at some point. And we have to realize that. Now, I'll tell you right now, nobody wants to hear that. That's not give you, those verses don't give you a warm fuzzy. In fact, the halo effect that psychologists call it is that most people feel like they're pretty good people. That they're good in and of themselves. They pay their taxes. They, they don't beat their spouse or they don't cheat or they don't drink or they don't run with those who do or whatever it is that your list of goods and, and bads are that most people feel that they're pretty good overall. And in a matter of three verses, Paul paints a completely different picture. Now, if you look at these three verses, this is, I want to call it the spark notes, if you will. This is the spark notes of, uh, of Christianity. Because if you really want to read the full in-depth version, the unabridged version, read Romans chapter 1 to chapter 3, and you're going to find the amplified version of this right here. But we're looking at the spark notes today. But in Romans chapter 3, it says this, none is righteous, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's understand these four corners of this square that some people are living in today. We're born into this. David himself said it. He says, I was born a sinner. Again, these are not words that we like to throw around and label ourselves with, but hang with me on this. Don't, don't, don't tune out. Tune in. We were born this way. This is the way we come into this world. I can see it in my incredibly awesome grandkids that there's already this selfishness that can manifest itself so quickly, and they're not even two yet. They're perfect otherwise. But other than that, 
But we're going to see the four corners of this box, this dungeon, this thing is death, disobedient, disoriented, and doomed. When you see this box, you see, first of all, there's death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Trespasses. I'm going to reverse engineer this, this phrase. Trespasses and sin. He gives us an active and a passive statement here. Trespasses is the idea of crossing a line, going against a a standard, uh, the boundaries, crossing over a boundaries. How many of us, don't raise your hand, how many of us have crossed over boundaries in our life? Done things that were wrong, said things that were wrong, felt things that were wrong, done, you know, saw things that were wrong, let things come out of our mouth and our hearts and our heads that were wrong. Now all of us have. We, that's, that's trespasses. We've trespassed something. That trespassing is the active that leads to the passive that now I, because I've trespassed, I have become a sinner. And again, nobody wants to say this, but hang with me on this because the reality is every one of us has trespassed, which then labels us as a sinner, a broken person in need of something. And that, 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 that trespassing and that sin, reverse engineering the verse again, you were dead. Speaks of our death. Even whenever the prodigal son, you know the story of the prodigal son, he, he comes home. And what does the dad say when he comes home? He says, this my son was dead. So realizing that death is a part of it. See, we've got to realize that when Jesus came, life principle for you, Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. There's a big difference. He didn't come to just try to clean up the outside shell or to get rid of a few things out of our life. It's realizing that I'm dead and I need life. Disobedient is another thing that he points to another side of that square. We're called sons of disobedience. And again, we like to call the shots in our life, right? We like to be our own masters, our own kings, our own lords, our own, our own bosses. And, and there is a God of the universe who put this world in order, this cosmos into order. And he put it into order and he put moral justice in, in, in place. And it's up to us to understand that the God of the universe who made the right and the wrong, he is the one that we have to understand and walk in that. And if we don't, we become sons of disobedience. And again, I pointed out, we start following the world. We start following the prince of the power of the air. And there's so many things. We'll unpack that in the new year. We're going to actually study Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare in the new year. So get ready for that. Disoriented is another. He says, lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Here's the reality. What carries most people through life? is we live off of our desires, off of our passions. Unbridled, uncontrolled, it could be it could be an addiction, it could be a desire that we don't that we don't keep in check. And it, here's I was reading in the 21 day Ephesians study. If you haven't joined us in that, I invite you to join us. But Labor Day weekend, we literally filled up one entire group. We had to go open up another group. If you'll scan that, you can jump into a 21-day through the book of Ephesians, and you can be reading right along. This week, I was reading in Ephesians chapter 4, and this is the, the phrase, your old self, my old self, is corrupt through deceitful desires. My passions, my appetites, my urges, my attractions, my desires are not necessarily of God. 
and that I need to make sure that my passions, my desires, my appetites, my affections are kept in check. But the reality is every one of us is driven by those. In fact, most marriages end because a couple, either both or both and, uh, couldn't control their passions and desires. Here's a verse for you. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? It's not beyond marriage. It's any relationship. What causes those? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. That's what gets us messed up in life. That's what causes us to lose our character, get fired from our jobs, lose our marriages, is because we couldn't keep our passions and desires, our self under control. We were controlled by them. Again, that's just the way we are when we look back. Well, maybe it's even the way some of us are living right in the present, which ultimately leads to doom. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath is not a patronizing statement. Remember the children of Israel? Okay. It literally means I'm a part of the family of. I'm the part of the family of wrath. I'm a part of the family of doom. And that's not a good thing to be. Death, disobedient, disoriented, doomed is the way all of us, every last one of us, either were or still are. The thing is, when you're living in that box, it's like you're living in this cold, dark cave. Some people like going caving. Personal story here. I will never go in a cave. I don't want to crawl into anything that if the earth moves one little inch, it may collapse. I don't want to be a part of anything that's dark and dingy and cold and where there's little bugs walking around and if my light goes out, I'm, I'm doomed. Listen, that's the way I see sin. It's not this pretty little box that I get to live in. It's the life of being enclosed and about to be crushed. Nobody wants to be there. Guys, you, you have to hear the bad news before you can hear the good news. Some, many today are still living in a four-squared box. It's a cave, it's a dungeon that is holding us back. Number two, look up. And I'll say this, that you have to get to the point in your life when you go, okay, I've reached the end of me trying to fix me. I've done all the self-help I can self-help myself into I, I paid enough money to counselors now that, I, I, that I'm still paying money to counselors and I'm still the same mess I've been all along. I have to reach, you have to reach, we all have to reach the end of ourselves. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 is when Jesus was talking to his mountain climbing disciples. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The very first way that Jesus says the blessed, the happy, the good, the prosperous, the the right life is, is when you start broken and poor, waking up one day realizing you need Jesus. So we read verses 1 to verse 3. Pretty dark, pretty dreary, pretty doomed, disoriented, all those things, disobedient, falling after the powers of the air, blah, 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 blah. Go to verse 4. Go to verse 4. Read it with me. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. That is so powerful. I want us to read it again, but I'm going to give you the, the opportunity to use your outside voices, okay? Feel free to use your outside voices because that, this needs to be declared, all right? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? That's right. I hope you're not in the box, in the dungeon. I hope you're living in the pyramid of mercy and love and grace. Because when you look at this, you see these three words popping off the page. Mercies, first of all. But God being rich in mercy. When God's rich, he's filthy rich. It's describing who he is. Mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. We all deserve what we bring on ourselves, but mercy is not getting what you do deserve. It's the last time you got pulled over for speeding and they gave you a warning. That's called mercy. Amen. That's mercy. This juxtaposition between these two sides of this darkness and this death and this doom and this disobedience and this, all this over here juxtaposed next to that, but God, rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. I like what uh, Dane Ortland said in his book, Gentle and Lowly. It's really a great book that everyone needs to read. God is rich in mercy. He doesn't withhold mercy from some kinds of sinners while extending it to others because mercy is who he is. Being rich in mercy, his heart gushes forth mercy to sinners, one and all. His mercy overcomes even the deadness of our souls and the hollowed out zombie-like existence that we are all naturally born into. Listen, we have been trying for centuries upon centuries to make our way to God, to get into heaven, to be good enough to get there in relationship with God, but we're never going to get there. It's going to be because of God coming to us and him giving to us what we do not deserve. Two giants in the faith in my life, probably younger generations don't know. You might know the name, but you don't know the person, Billy Graham. Billy Graham, very influential in bringing, seeing many people come to faith in Christ. Can't go on enough about Billy and Ruth Graham. Billy and Ruth had a daughter named Ruth Ann. Ruth Ann was kind of a prodigal child. She refused to listen to mom and dad whenever they, she was talking about what it means to uh, who, they, who she should marry. She had one failed divorce uh, or one failed marriage. And she had another failed marriage. And when she was at her rock bottom, she had no place to live and no place to go. She picked up the phone and she called mother. She called her mother, Ruth Graham. And all Ruth said to her, all her mother said was come home. Just come home. 
yes, there's a lot of stupid out there. Yes, I did a lot of things. Yeah, just come home. That's what mercy says. Just come home. It's going to be okay. I'm still accepting you. And it's because of love. Mercy leads to love. At the apex of the triangle is his love. Tim Keller said it like this. We are far more, we are far worse than we have ever imagined. And we are far more loved than we ever, ever dreamed. But God shows his love for us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, we weren't getting our act together. We, would, we didn't figure things out. We didn't have our, our, our ducks in a row. We, we hadn't become that moral, upright person. In all of the brokenness, his love penetrates through it all. And while we were still sinners, he loved us and he died for us. That's the power of Christ. That's the power of Jesus, which leads me to the, The other part of the pyramid is grace. If it's mercy, it's his love, it's his grace. Mercy, if it's not getting what you do deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. And grace is the theme of Ephesians. We had speakers here last week to talk about unveiling grace because there was an epiphany, there was a light, there was was an encounter with a grace-filled God that it wasn't going to be what you did that got you to to heaven or paradise or the celestial kingdom. It wasn't what you did or the baptisms that you did or the the laws that you keep or the, the ceremonies that you go through. No, 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 no. It is because of his grace. In fact, you're going to see it throughout the book of Ephesians. Riches of his grace, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Stewards of of God's grace in chapter 3. The gift of his grace in chapter 3. Grace was given. uh, And then in chapter 4, grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace. Amazing, incredible grace. Verse 5, it said there, said for. By grace, you have been saved. Now, Paul says it once, and by the way, this is in the Greek language, a perfect passive participle. The perfect means it's completed action, done, finished, over, wrapped up. You can't undo it. It's done. Passive, it's done for you, to you. You don't do anything to get it. God does it for you. When he says you are saved, it's not something, I hope I'm saved. I hope I make it. Uh-uh. When you are saved, you're saved. Exclamation point. God said you are saved. You're saved. Not according to my words, but according to his word. And then he, he says in verse 5, but notice again, he says it again in verse 8. The same words, in the same perfect passive participle, he says, for by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. Not through a thousand baptisms of the dead. Not through you keeping the Ten Commandments. Not through you saying a hundred thousand Hail Marys. No, by faith. By me trusting. By me believing It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. It's not like this. You do all you can do, and then God will give you grace. No, no, no. 
Because if I could do all I could do, let's say I could, I could do 25%, but God's going to make up the 75%. I'd say it's a lot of grace. But see, there's still 25% got me there. I did enough to get me there in a right relationship with God, no longer dead, no longer childrens of wrath and disobedience. No, no, no. None of it. None of it I did. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for God's grace alone. That's truth. If you're here today, and this is maybe coming clear of the realization that, yes, I need to understand there's some brokenness in my life. That brokenness leads to me being called a sinner, okay? Trespasses leads to sinner, which leads to death and so on and so forth. But God's grace, God's mercy, motivated by his love and his grace is going to do this incredible work in me. 250 years now, we've been singing one particular song. I mean, it's part of pop culture. Carrie Underwood has a version of it. Alan Jackson has a version of it. It's been sang at funerals and and, and churches. It's been sang as civil rights anthems. It's, It's a part of our pop culture. It was on The Simpsons. It was in Cheers. It was on Star Trek. It was the song of grief at 9 11. Obama. President Obama sang it a cappella at a funeral. Amazing grace. Written by two broken people, John Newton and William Cooper. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. He's realizing the realization that there's a lot of brokenness out there and even it's inside of me. Taught my heart to fear. Oh, the brokenness of my own heart. But at the same time, grace set me free. Set me, released me from fear. The power of that. John Newton was a slave trader. William Cooper had his own person. He's the one who scored the, 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 the song. The personal demon struggled with his own personal mental health. Amazing grace. Number three. Look out. You look back, you look up, and you look out. When God does his mercy, his love, and his grace in our life, what what happens? We enter in to this beautiful calling, the circle of his choosing us, loving us, adopting us, freeing us, forgiving us, enlightening us. He does his work of redemption and sanctification inside of us. Verse 10, it says this. It says, remember all all the work of his salvation? So that for we are his work, so, so for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's nothing I can do to make myself saved. I just receive it in faith. But when I become a child of God, I become his workmanship. He's going to knock off those rough edges. He's going to clean up my language. He's going to clean up my attitudes. He's going to work with me in my addictions. He's going to set me free. Remember that freedom circle? It's a part of the, it's a part of the circle of life in, in, in Christ. See, God accepts us as we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us there. Which 
shape are you being shaped by? When you look back, are you still stuck in the back? You're still stuck in the past. You're still stuck in the brokenness and the death and the, and the, and the passions and the desires are just controlling you. They have a grip on you. You can't get free from that. Or have you stepped into the amazing mercy and grace and love of God that is going to set you free to look out and to look ahead, to become a masterpiece? That's what workmanship means, a masterpiece for God. That's what God does when he does his greatest work. John Newton, before he passed, he passed away 86 or something like that. Um, one of the last quotes that he, that he said was, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. What a statement. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. You know, this, this whole thing that I just shared today, my life of brokenness, my life being born again, my life of a new life in Christ, you can go out, if you're a child of God, and share that everywhere you go. You can be at the water cooler. You can be at a coffee. You can be at your Uber driver. You could, you could, you could be in a, a casual conversation, and you can just say something like this. Can I tell you about the most incredible thing that's ever happened in my life? My life, it was this, it was that, it was broken, it was in passions, it was desires, it was all this messed up mess. And then, and listen, sometimes it's a successful messed up mess. People are very successful, and they can still be a mess on the inside. But then I came, and I encountered his mercy. Maybe it's on a Sunday in September of 2022. And I was sitting in church, and all of a sudden, I understood his mercy. I understood his love. I understood his grace. And I said, yes to Jesus on that day. Yes, Jesus, I need you. I want you. And on that day, he started a new journey, a new work in my life, a new workmanship in my life and I'll never be the same again. Now, you got one or two camps. Either that's your story, you've gone, you're here, or maybe you're back here. And if you're back here and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, today is the day to do that. Bow your heads with me. As you sit and reflect on where you're at, this today may be your but God moment. The biggest but God moment of your life. Just where you're at right now, just say, yes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I, I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your love. I need, I need you to call me your child. And I'm trusting you, Jesus, to be my Savior. You say that in your own words. Here's my challenge to you. You put your own ending to that. You think, where do I go from here? You go from here. As soon as we stand up to sing, I'm going to walk off the stage. I'm going to walk out in the gallery area. Come see me. Lori will be back there with me. We want to pray with you, help you know what your next step is. 
Maybe it's baptism next week for you, declaring out your faith. You know, I've been a child of God for a long time, and I've never declared my faith in baptism. Father, you know the space, you know the people in this space right now. You know the people watching online. Lord, you know what you need to do. I pray that you do what you need to do, and we will say yes to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.